Welcome to the Licensing Podcast, where we take what may seem like the extremely boring and try to make it a little less boring. Each episode is geared towards a story to help provide you with some of the background of where these topics come from, why they work the way they work, and what you can do about it on your test. We're going to provide a lot of realism. Unfortunately, you can only provide so much fun. This session is going to be about structured products. Structured products in the material can seem pretty complicated, and in fact, in real life, they're actually just as complicated. The nice thing for us here is that they're a very low testable topic. I'm going to give you a quick example, and I think that's really all we're going to need in this space. So, the structured product is complicated in the sense that it's actually a couple of products wrapped together. Its components are, first, a debt component. Every structured product you're going to see on the test has a debt component. And the purpose of that debt component is going to be to protect your principal amount. The original investment you give to the broker-dealer is designed to be protected by that debt side. And you'll find, when you look at different structured products, that some structured products do that a lot better than others. But that's what the debt arm is supposed to do. The second arm of your structured product is something very exotic. And in fact, that exotic thing is usually what gives the product its name. So sometimes it's some kind of option. Sometimes it's some kind of swap product. Sometimes it can be something like a, an extremely risky stock kind of product. There's a lot of different choices out there. There's some pretty historical norms for what they are. But in reality, just as long as it's an exotic thing, it's something designed to get capital appreciation to get vast return on investment. And you wrap those two things together and you sell them as one. So definitionally, that's what our structured product is. Now, let's give you a little bit of the context so you understand why someone would want to do that or how that actually works in the real world. We're going to go history here. So I'm going to jump us back to the 60s and 70s and then move us forward into uh, our current age. The reason I'm doing this is because the 60s and 70s version is a lot more clear cut. And then as time has progressed, we've made these things a lot more complicated than when they originally even started. Let's pretend it's 1970 and you come to me and you say, hey, Jason, here's what I want. I want a product that was going to protect my principal. I'm not going to lose anything, but that has a really, really high return. And I'm looking at you like, okay, well, I'll just reap into my magic bag and I'll pull out my rainbow unicorn bond, right? I mean, there's no product that does that. The whole point of the risk return curve is that you should expect higher returns for things that are riskier and you should expect lower returns for things that are not. But you're the kind of customer that I really can't offend or I don't want to lose. So I come up with this gimmick to figure it out. And I say, okay, customer, here's what we're going to do. You're going to give me $10,000 today. And all I really need is a little bit of time. I need you to commit to not needing this money back for the next 10 years. Now, with that kind of timeline, here's what I do. In the shadows, in the background with you not looking, I take 5,000 of your dollars and I go buy a zero coupon bond, which we should have read about by now. The zero coupon bond is easy to get into because it's discount to par, but it'll mature up at that thousand. So if I buy $5,000 worth of zeros, they'll mature at $10,000 and the zeros are protecting your principal. Back in the 70s with high interest rates, we could get that money doubling over the course of eight, nine, 10 years. So that's why I needed the 10-year timeline. You gave me $10,000, and worst case scenario, these zero coupon bonds come due, and I give you $10,000 back. Quote, unquote, protect your principal. 
what do I do with that other $5,000 though? Well, that, I've invested in a bunch of weird stuff. That's the stuff that I invest in emerging market stocks. That's the stuff that I invest in call options. Anything that I think will really go bonkers. If I'm wrong and we lose all of that money, it's not a big deal. You give me 10000 10 years later, I give you back 10000 If I win, if I pick them right, and this call option that I get just explodes, then you gave me 10000 and 10 years later, I give you back a healthy return, $15,000, $17,000, something like that. So that's the two arms working together. That's the bond protecting your 10,000 principal, and that's the exotic product really going for broke. The hard part about that is you really only want to give that to sophisticated investors. They need to understand how bonds work, which is pretty complicated, and then you need to understand how things like call options or index options or things like that could work, and they're pretty complicated too. And then you're marrying those two together. So from a suitability standpoint, you want to recognize that these structured products are highly illiquid and they should only be given to sophisticated investors. Now, just to cap off our story, as we go forward into 1980s, 1990s, 2000s, as our financial markets get more sophisticated, these things get more sophisticated. The material gives you an example of a pretty complicated kind of structured product. If you were to read another vendor's material, it would give you a story of a different structured product that sounds pretty much just as complicated. It's highly unlikely that you're going to get a ton of questions on very specific kinds of structured products because these things are so complicated nowadays that the real answer is you're going to have to read the prospectus. To know what the structured product from different companies do nowadays, you're going to have to read their personal structured products. In some of the structured products nowadays, you're actually owning the bond and the stock, but in some of them, you're not. In some of them, it's more of a reference kind of dynamic where nobody is owning anything and you're just benchmarking against it. So that's why I think that you're less likely to see specific structured products and more general, how does it work and why do you want to use it? One of the things that is pretty consistent, one of the classes of products that came from structured products were exchange traded notes, so ETNs. And a couple quick bullets here, again, not highly testable, but since it's part of our story, an ETN is a structured product where the debt leg is a little more emphasized. This is a debt product at the end of the day. And it's usually in an attempt to make the structured product more liquid, which was one of the original problems that the structured product had. So that's our session for today. I know it was quick, but thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.